Welcome to On The Rise, a podcast about female college tennis players on the way up. On The Rise serves compelling stories and unique voices in women's college tennis. This is your host, Perry Shinen. In this episode of On The Rise, I will be speaking with Duke women's tennis alum, Tori Zawacki-Roy, who played in all four junior Grand Slams before joining the Blue Devils. Led by head coach Jamie Ashworth, Tori and her partner achieved a top five national doubles ranking while she earned All-America honors in her freshman season. Now, Tori works as a feature producer and reporter for ESPN. Hi, this is Perry, and this is another episode of On The Rise podcast. I'm joined today by Tori Zawaki-Roy from Duke Women's Tennis. Tori, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. And so for those of us who don't know, you are a big time producer at ESPN. That is unbelievable. And just thinking, you know, from my perspective, just entering the industry and seeing the unbelievably crazy hours Mm -hmm. that this job entails, Mm -hmm. how have you stayed in the industry and why? I think it's just the love of sports and the love of the job, which sounds crazy. (laughs) Um, You know, when I think back of covering the Australian Open, you know, I was lucky enough to go to the Australian Open for five years. But before that, when I first got to ESPN, I was covering it from Bristol, which means I had to be in the office at 3 a.m. And I mean, you should have seen me a gung-ho at Dunkin' Donuts at 2.30 in the morning in Bristol, Connecticut in January. Like, I loved it. If if you could stick around after that, I think you can handle pretty much anything. So it really is. You have to really love it. And I'm I'm lucky that I can say that. And the TV world, obviously, is so fast paced and the sports world is so fast paced as well. So how do you balance the timing of everything? Well, I'm lucky in that, you know, I don't cover live sports as much as I used to. Um, So now I'm doing more post-production work as a feature producer and, and feature reporter where you kind of aren't always in a crazy hustle, like usually these interviews are set up and you have time. It's more turning it around. If, you know, say our show wants to run it in three days, that's a little bit of a hustle. But um, no, I'm, I'm lucky that I have the space to take things instead of just going live all the time, which I think is huge. Take me back to a live event when timing was really crazy. How, how did you handle that? The only thing I could think of that like stressed me out slightly was in the Monday Night Football truck, my job at the time, and this was what, five years ago. My job was, okay, get get on site and film player arrivals, right? Which was always really cool because you're in the tunnel, you're feeling the moment. And when you're in stadiums like in Seattle, like it's just like you feel like the stadium and it's loud and it's cool. And New Orleans, like I just remember those two being my favorite trips. But you had to go film these players arriving, run it back to the truck, which is most of the time on the other side of the stadium. <laughs> and then just feed this tiny little card, stick it in, in the truck and get it back to Bristol so that the show can run it as soon as they get it. That fear of not making air, that fear of missing the show, I already totally feel that. And it's just this weight. And it's both like the pressure of being on the court, but it's also not. It's different because I feel like the stakes feel the stakes feel higher, mm-hmm. but then I don't know if that's because I'm older. So do you think the stakes have gotten higher? Yes, absolutely. Because you're in a new setting, you're in a new situation, and you want to show everyone how good you are, right? In tennis, you already established that. So even if you don't meet the expectation, okay, well, you can do it the next time. You can do it in the next match. But when you're in this new scenario and you're trying to prove yourself, yeah, if you mess up, you're going to think about it constantly and think, okay, how is everyone else seeing me? Because you don't know the environment as well. So, you know, once you get through those first couple quick turns and you make it, then I think it gets a little bit easier and you get comfortable. But no, absolutely. It's a new situation. And so, you know, that kind of leads us into the idea of proving yourself as a woman in this business, Mm. because although we have seen, you know, vast improvements, I feel like there's still a world of difference that needs to be made. And so when you first started in the industry, was it even more male dominated than it is today? 
Yes. Um, you know, I was lucky because I, I had tennis as that sport that I knew so that I didn't, I didn't have to prove myself as kind of a competent producer or as a competent woman, like because of my background, which was helpful. But when I switched to the NFL, every week was walking into a boardroom of 12, 15 men and forcing myself to not feel intimidated and forcing myself to speak up and not worry about what everyone was thinking just because I was the only woman. Um, and that was hard. That was really hard. So I made it a point to educate myself because I didn't know football like I know tennis. I don't, I don't think anyone does. I remember Herm Edwards and he would just be going on and on. And I'm just trying to like absorb as much as I could because he's such an incredible coach and incredible analyst. And I had to understand what he was talking about. So I made it a point to just kind of read books about football strategy. I'm not saying I got to that point, but at least to be able to hold my own in those meetings. But there definitely felt like a presence of like, what's she doing in here? But it didn't last long. And so what does it mean to you now, you know, to see all these women involved in football and the broadcasting, oh you know, behind? To call a game? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's next level. That's next level. And I'm so pumped to see, I mean, when you see what people like Hannah Storm are doing on Amazon and just the way our sideline reporters are talking about the game, breaking down the game when they can. Like, I'm not even for football, but Doris, Doris Burke is absolutely phenomenal. And I just, that stuff is like what I was talking about. And that's just me going in a meeting. I can't imagine going in the live television. So it's, um, it's pretty incredible. And so as a producer, for, for those of us who don't know, could you just explain your roles and, you know, really the significance of them and making the show happen? Yeah. So my role um, now as a feature producer is just uh, storytelling. Uh, so I get assigned a story or sometimes I pitch a story that I find and you go out and have to figure out how to tell it. And that part becomes either a two-minute or five-minute portion of our Sunday NFL countdown pregame show. Two to five minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but we actually build entire segments around these pieces and let the analysts go off of, of a two-minute kind of intro piece. So that's my job. It's a pretty cool job. Now that you're an established presence, what are your goals moving forward? Um, goals moving forward are really to get more access and get, you know, establish stronger relationships with teams now that I have been doing it for so long. And now that my role has changed where I'm doing the interviews as a reporter and then turning the piece around as a producer, I think that adds a lot of strength because you're taking complete ownership from beginning to end of, of a piece. So yeah, my goal is to kind of reintroduce myself to people I've been working with for years, but know that they can trust me with their story, trust me with their time and know that, you know, we are just trying yeah, to tell to tell their story and do it in the best way possible to set up a bigger picture of, of the game. How has it been to juggle work life and juggle family life? You just kind of figure it out as it goes, you know, just like anything else. Like, it's just like, okay, it's, it's one more challenge, but it doesn't feel that way because you just have to do it, right? So it's just like, okay, well, I need to maybe adjust my schedule a little bit where if I would go out to LA for a trip, okay, I can't stay that extra night. I have to get back and be with my kids again. The biggest challenge <laughs> was when I was still breastfeeding. <laughs> that was an adventure and I learned a lot. So I'd like to someday write a book or like kind of have a blog on, on all the best spots to pump in every airport across America because I found all of them. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was something that I was really proud of because I was committed to, you know, breastfeeding my son and nursing him for as long as I possibly could and doing it on the road. It's not a lot of people doing it. I know Ramona Shelbourne actually tweeted about it because she was going through airport security with a whole vat of breast milk in a freezer and they like stopped her and were like, what is this? <laughs> so it's those moments that I can totally relate to, but there's not enough stories out there. So 
one day I'd like to, you know, kind of tell all those fun stories. And so much of life on the court is obviously figuring out as you go. But at the same time, you know, coming into baby number two, how does that feel for you? It feels great. Um, it It's like another accomplishment, you know. You can't really compare. Like, I thought everything that we've trained for our whole lives as tennis players, like nothing was going to be harder than that. The conditioning, the mental side of it. I was like, okay, I am physically, I can do anything, right? Until you have babies. And then you're like, oh, no, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. But at least you have that initial mental preparation. <laughs> it's not the same, but you have that mindset already to go, which is a really cool advantage for for athlete moms, I think. And, you know, take me back to graduating from Duke and then walking into the real world. And could you ever have seen yourself at this place? So no, I didn't, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. I was a little freaked out. I graduated, uh, moved home to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and started bartending for six months. And I actually had a really good time doing it. It was really fun. But I just was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. I know I want to work in TV. I don't know how it's going to happen. I had put multiple calls and uh, resumes in ESPN, but it's just, you know, kind of like you're just blindly throwing your resume out at a bot. You don't know if anybody's reading it, right? So yeah, I was bartending in Hilton Head and had lined up a job with a um, a close friend who ran a country club in Atlanta and I was going to teach tennis there. And when I got to Atlanta, I was just going to knock on doors at every TV station or affiliate that I could and just get in. That was, I was like, I know if I get in the door, I can start climbing, but I got to get there first. So about a week before I was going to move to Atlanta, ESPN called me and um, asked to set up an in-person interview. And from there, it just kind of took off. So... And what were your hours when you first started? If I wasn't doing the Australian Open, that was that was the tough one. But when I first got there, yeah, I was in at 5 p.m. And then I would leave based on whatever event I was covering. Like, say, I, if I would cover an NBA game and I would have to cut the highlight for it to run on SportsCenter. Yeah, I'd probably be done at, like, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. It would just depend on the event. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, you go straight out after that? Yeah, you're good. I love that. And so after tennis, did you keep on playing in Bristol or how did that work? I taught tennis for a little bit. I really love teaching. I think it's so it's so fun. And then your schedule just, it's really hard. It's really hard. And then it's hard if you want to just practice seriously to find someone that's at your level because everyone wants to hit with you, right? Because they, they want to get better. But, you know, but then it's like, okay, well, I actually want to get better too. Who can I hit with? Who can I find? And it was really hard to network and, and, and find that. So, no, I lost it a little bit, but it's okay. You know, you're always going to have it. It's just one of those things. Like I, when I go out now, like, and I'll, I'll, I'll play with my husband a little bit. Like it suddenly just comes back, and you're like, oh, this feels great. You know, I wish I could do this every day because the first thing that goes is your serve. <laughs> uh, if I could just hit serves every day, then I would never lose it. I haven't touched a racket in almost a year, which is crazy because it's like I just graduated, and I was like, oh, of course I'll keep on playing. Right? That was not true. Don't beat yourself up. It's, it's all about priorities. You'll get it and it'll come right back and it'll be great. And now, you know, every wedding that I attend or my wedding too, we had a tennis event. Everyone has tennis events. So you just go back in there and it's awesome. Oh my gosh. Wait, tell me more. You had a tennis event at your wedding? Yeah. Oh, so you'll love this. It was at the Newport Hall of Fame. Wait, stop, stop, stop. We had um, like a tennis mixer the day before our wedding. It was half serious, half not. We had drinks and everything, but we had like the, the real serious players on one end and then we mixed it up with beginners and we did um, like around the world. We did a raffle where like my maid of honor would feed balls and if you hit like an item on the other side, you would get to keep it. So it was a lot of fun. So that's how you keep it together. Okay, so 
I am not even kidding. Like, I'm getting married at the Hall of Fame. I am they so, do beautiful weddings there. They do beautiful <laughs> weddings. So do you know how I know? is because I interned at the Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. So Amazing. I was a communications intern. Yeah, in 2019, I loved it. Cool. Yeah, and everyone like the there best is people to work with. The best people, exactly. And so I met two of my best friends there that summer interning with me. And we all said, well, I said first, I'm getting married at the Hall of Fame and I'm getting married before you all yeah, are. Yeah, you have to. Well, now you have to. Now I have to. I have everything planned about my wedding and I just haven't found the guy, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> See, that's no, that the, the hard part is done. The wedding stuff is really a pain in the butt. So once you figure that out, then the guy, that's easy. This is going back a few years, but you were such a top junior and an elite player coming into college. And so you you obviously had, you know, the world at your fingertips. Why did you choose to play college tennis? Um, the reason I decided to play college tennis was because all of my sisters played college tennis. I have two sisters that played at Wake Forest and my other sister played at Seton Hall. So they stressed to me how great the college experience was and that I would regret it if I never went. And I totally agree. And so you're the youngest of four? Five. My brother uh, played baseball and basketball in college. It's unbelievable. So your family's not athletic at all. Not an athletic family. <laughs> no. Did your parents play? Yeah, my dad actually played basketball at Wake Forest, and uh, he was part of uh, the 1962 Final Four team. Um, so that's it's pretty funny that I ended up going to Duke, but I wasn't going to go to Wake. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I love that. Well, that's so cool. And and did you feel that the atmosphere at Duke it was it very different than you know than your sister's experiences? Um, I think it was just because they were quite a bit older than me. And I mean, you see it now with the way, and this is probably while you were playing too, the way social media is like, just looks all over tennis now. And it's so not fair because I would have loved to have that type of coverage when I was playing. But um, yeah, I mean, just things were different. Like there was more exposure, there was more access. It was just totally different for me than for them. You said, you know, now there's so much exposure and access in women's college tennis. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, when I'm following, you know, my sister is the head tennis coach at Virginia Tech now, and just to be able to watch her matches the way I can and, and see her on the sidelines, like, I don't, I don't think we had live cameras on, on all the courts at Duke when I was there. I think that happened, like, after I left. And then you're seeing Instagram stories, you're seeing a match point play out live on a story if I'm following Duke and I'm seeing that, you know, they're beating Carolina, I can see every court's match point on Instagram. And it's just so cool, and what a great way to promote women's tennis at Duke. So Duke Women's Tennis, how is the alumni network? We're great. I mean, I am friends with, you know, girls that played before I got there and then girls that were there after I was gone. I mean, it's just how it happens. Um, the network is just through everyone else, right? So like someone who was a sophomore when I was a senior will introduce me to someone that was that played with her. You know, like it, that's how we've all kind of maintained this relationship and our group texts are now getting like bigger and bigger because there's all these people. We never played, some of us, yeah, we never played on a team together, but we just instantly click because we either laugh about the memories that we, you know, maybe didn't have together, but can understand because of you know, things our coaches did or things we did, you know, on campus. Like we all laugh about that or we just get it, you know, like you just have this instant bond with people like that. Was there a specific match that sticks out to you that will always stay with you? Um, that's a really good question. I will say, I guess, and this is this is not a good one. It's actually kind of tough. Like my freshman year, we got to the ACC final and we lost to Clemson. And Clemson's like a really gritty team. They're really gritty. They're really feisty. They're in your face. So that's why we always kind of, um, I don't know, like we, we had to mentally prepare for Clemson more than any other team just because of, of that reason. So 
I just remember being absolutely heartbroken at that loss because we were so good and we just couldn't, we just couldn't close it out against them. And then the same thing happened. We were in Elite Eight that same year and we lost to Stanford. And I remember still being on court. I had split sets and I think I, I was winning in the third set and we had to stop. And I was just like, no, but I got it, I'm right there, I'm so close. And you know, I couldn't finish a match and that's how that year ended for me. So I don't know why those stick out. I think because that was the closest that, that I got with the team to a national title. And yeah, uh, it would have been pretty great. And it really speaks to you personally as such a team-oriented person and such a great teammate that you think of those matches and you think of the team and you think of the team's disappointment and obviously you, yours to go along with it. That's, I mean, that speaks, you know, it speaks volumes about you as a person. That's I mean, cool. you just, you, you work so hard together. And so you just want to earn that together. Um, and, you know, luckily Duke did win a national title. So, you know, that's, that's the important part. But um, I will say too, I had just the honor of, of being an All-American my freshman year. That's something that I'm really going to be proud of. Having my name up in a banner at, at Duke is like something I'm never going to forget. Not relatable, but amazing. <laughs> and so, you know, in terms of the in terms of the idea of you obviously covered Wimbledon all these years after you were a player at 2002 Junior Wimbledon. How did it feel to step back out there on the sports media? It was hard because you want to be really proud of it. And I wanted to like show all my colleagues. I was like, oh, I played on that court. And I played. But I didn't want to be like that person either. So it's like, it's a really tough balance because you're there in such a different capacity too, right? There were all these areas that were access only for players that I couldn't get into anymore. So I was like strolling in, like, you know, I own the place and they're like, no, you're, you're media. You don't come up here. <laughs> um, so I found that that was really hard <laughs> there in the U S open, especially because U S open is like, that's where I had the best time as a player. And yeah, you come back as, as a lowly member of the media and you, you know, it's just not the same, but it's still pretty cool. What were your dream events to cover when you first joined ESPN? <sighs> Uh, I've always wanted to go back and cover the Masters. I always compare it to Wimbledon. I have no idea if it's like Wimbledon or not. I've heard it's just a totally different vibe, but still the the prestige of it um, just, I think, always spoke to me as as someone who appreciates Wimbledon and places like that. So um, so I'd, I'd, I'd love to cover the Masters one day. The sport of golf is often compared to the sport of tennis. And so now that you've covered both sports, do you think that's true? Um, yeah, because it's so mental, right? Um and again, like I, I guess I'm covering more like the, the stories of golf more than like the actual like events. So just kind of the personalities that you see, right, are very similar and they're very me orientated. And that's not a bad thing. That's just how tennis players are. And that's how golfers are, because that's how we're kind of trained to think is like, OK, well, this is me and this is on me and this is what I'm doing. So that's kind of the thing I noticed was that their personalities and I went to high school with a lot of golfers, too. The tennis academy I went to was also a golf academy. So you know, we went to school three, four hours a day with other tennis players, but also golfers um, that were training on Hilton Head Island. So I kind of understood that, I think from that experience too, is that we're, we're very similar because our schedules and the way we have to practice and the way we have to think are very alike. Do you think that tennis players are wired differently than other players? Yes. Um, I think kind of what we were talking about earlier when it comes to the mentality of, of me and the independence. Um, what else I was going to say, too, when I'll go back to that is just the mm -hmm. drama of junior tennis, right? Like, I don't think that exists in other sports. I really don't. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Someone correct me. But I just think because of that focus on one player, like, I think coaches are more intense. Parents are more intense. Like, my sisters and I joke about now that they're like total tennis parents. And there's like, a, there's no definition for that. You just kind of know what it means. <laughs> like, you know, the independence of calling your own lines 
Like, where's that happening? And that's what causes so much drama. And just seeing, hearing my sisters with their kids, you know, kind of talk about going through that again. And, you know, your son or daughter is experiencing being cheated on. Like, what are you going to do? Like that, that part, I think, adds a lot. And I had to learn that at a really early age because I remember being 10, 11, and I played in the Eastern Tennis Association. And there was a lot of girls in there. It's really cutthroat. They're from New York City, and they're really good. And I would just let them make these horrible calls, change the score on me. And I just wouldn't say anything because I was just like, okay. Like, I just didn't know. And finally, my sister, who was coaching me at the time, was like, you got to go get someone. You got to go get an umpire. You got to go stand up for yourself. You got to fight. Like that, I will never forget the first time I actually stood up for myself and then ended up winning the match because I had the courage, which doesn't sound like the right word, but it is when you're that young and there's a really intimidating girl on the other side of the net who's being mean to you, the courage to go get an umpire to say, hey, I need help. I need you to you know, watch this match. And then I ended up winning. And that, I think that changed everything for me. That I can't think of a specific experience at ESPN, but it definitely throughout the rest of my life honestly gave me courage to not be walked all over. And that's something that I think sucked at the time, but I'm grateful for. I love that. And I think that a lot of us as tennis players, especially as female players, we do have those moments when, whether it's on the court, off the court, with teammates, with coaches, when we do have that final moment where we do stand up for ourselves and Mm -hmm. it's so uncomfortable. And I think as a woman, you know, especially someone like you or I who are very, you know, outgoing and nice, you know, it was hard for me to stand up for myself because I was afraid of walking over other people or, Mm -hmm. and so something that I always told myself was like, it's our lives and our careers. So, I mean, taking ownership of that was something that was so difficult for me and something that I take into broadcasting every day because it's all about kind of creating space for yourself. Yeah. So, you know, when you say our tennis players cut different than that, I think, honestly, I wish I thought of that sooner because that memory just came back to me. That's why I can't think of another sport where you have to self-officiate and and kind of (laughs) self-govern with someone else that you may have never met, may not even like. And then that kind of could either damage how you feel about yourself or do wonders. So that's that's how we're cut different. Yeah. And so what I always like to ask at the end, and especially now that you are a professional in the broadcasting space, but where do you see the future of women's sports coverage? I think it's only going to get better. There's so many roles at ESPN, and I just know because I'm close to it, but I'm sure it's other networks as well where, you know, we have so many female directors now directing huge documentary projects, which I don't know if that would have happened, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and it's because we just weren't given the chance. And now that we are giving the chance, we're showing what we can do. Um, you know, I think that there's more of an opportunity for mothers to have a bigger role as producers. And I don't think there's enough of it, but we're starting to grow. <laughs> um, you know, I, I use myself as an example, but I want there to be more. And I want to encourage other women at ESPN and in my own department, really, to, to say it's okay. You can have kids and you can have this crazy schedule. You can make it work. And no one is saying, well, you can't be a mom and do this, but it hasn't been encouraged either. And so my, my first boss, um, Amina Hussein, who left the company for, for Peloton, she was the first strong woman, female presence that I met and got to just talk openly about these types of things. And her reaction was always just like, well, why can't you? And I didn't have an answer. Uh, there's always a reason not to do something, right? So I think the future is giving women these opportunities and knowing that you don't have to just pigeonhole yourself. That's that's my hope. And I think it, we're getting there. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so well said and really so cool that you are really paving the way for other female producers. Oh, I'm you trying. Know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, we're getting there. 
Well, I mean, congratulations on your incredible career. And it's been so amazing, you know, for me to get to know you and to learn from you and your amazing path. So thank you. No, and I'm so I'm so pumped to see what you're doing now. And I, I love following you and, and seeing, you know, what's next. And I think this is such a great way to get these ideas out there and to just know that we're out here and we're doing this. So we're all in it together. My name is Tori Zawacki Roy, and I am on the rise. This has been an episode of On the Rise, a Tennis Channel podcast in partnership with Behind the Racket and produced by Molly Scholson. Join us next time to continue our conversation about women's college tennis. This is Perry Shinan, On the Rise.